one morning I woke up and I knew you were really gone. A new day, a new way, and I knew I should say it alone. Go your way, I'll go mine. Carry on. Welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers who feel like we have all been here before. Joining me today are Peter. Hello. M. Barrio. Hello, hello. And I am Inan. Thank you, listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Uh, episode 2, today's main discussion will be about Deja Vu, that's a 1970 album by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young that Peter has chosen for us to talk about. But before we get there, uh, I just want to say next episode will be about Play Dead's Inside. It's kind of... Um, horror puzzle uh, video game from, I think, 2016. Uh, we'll talk about that a little near the end of the episode. And I just want to make sure that you know that you can find all the ways to contact us in the show notes. Uh, you can comment on this episode, uh, send us your thoughts about next episode's video game, tell us about things you want us to talk about, write whatever you want. Just contact us. Uh, we're here for you. Okay, so before we go into the main discussion, I kind of wanted to ask you something uh, inspired by something that Peter asked us last week. Uh, last week, you asked us what's something big that we've missed, uh, if it's a book or an album or whatever. A gap in our knowledge, yeah. Yeah, and I said Hitchhiker's Guide, which I've never read, and Barrio said Catch-22 or uh, uh, 1984, or I think yep. he flipped it. It was a Catch-84 and 1922. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of numbers. There's a lot of numbers going around here. Mine was uh, Harry Potter, right? Yeah, you've never read any Harry Potters, which no. is kind of crazy. Um, I don't know if I said it, but also Lord of the Rings. I find them uh, always oh, those those two um, those cult fan bases. They're the um, <laughs> that they always get. Peter, me, just just leave everything. Just go and read it now. We'll we'll do the, the podcast later. <laughs> yeah. This is but we, yeah. this is a major I, thing. I can't believe I didn't tell you guys because we were talking about Tolkien um, with the ramble on last time and um, didn't come up obviously. But yeah, I haven't haven't. I don't even know how many there are, but. <laughs> Cool, we'll, uh, we'll have to close that gap one day. So anyway, I wanted to ask you guys kind of the opposite of what Peter asked us. If there's anything that's close to your heart, anything that you feel is special, if it's, again, a book, an album, a movie or whatever, that you think that people aren't talking about enough, that you feel like maybe... Lord of the Rings, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a single song from a famous album that you think is underrated or... Um, Whatever you think, uh, whatever you guys got. Or do you want me to start? Uh, how about you start? Yeah, okay. Um, there's, there's a band I really like. I, I can't say they're extremely obscure or anything because I think they're touring nonstop in America. Yeah. Uh, they're called the Red Elvises. Barry, I think you've heard of them, but Peter, have you ever, ever heard of them? I've never heard that before, no. The Red Elvises. Uh, they're kind of a um, surf rock, 50s rock band. <laughs> I've gotten a cute image of what they might look like. Please, um, <laughs> please tell me if I'm correct. Uh, so, are they just red and dressed like Elvis? Yep. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> there are three guys that immigrated to America from uh, Ukraine, I think, and then they found um, a drummer in America in uh, LA. 
they're playing, like I said, surf rock, 50s rock, but they're really leaning into their heritage and their Russian accents. And they're playing like, you know, like Russian surf rock. They have, they're called the Red Elvis is like the Red Army, I'm thinking. They've got an album called um, Grooving to the Moscow Beat. They've got an album called Surfing in Siberia. There's a bunch of kind of Russian rock and roll bands. that are like, I kind of want to say jokey bands, you know. But what sets the Red Elvises apart is that they're so, so talented and so charismatic, they really make the music work. I think their strongest suit is, um, is their uh, guitar player. I think his name is, or stage name is Sasha Rock. I'm always comparing him to, I don't know, Jimmy Page and stuff, because I really love Jimmy Page's music. But they're playing a different style altogether. But still, I think Sasha Rock, is his solo, his guitar playing is just as good as Jimmy Page's. And... I've been listening to the Red Elvises for, I think, maybe 12 years now. And um, I love them. Every time I listen to them, my mood changes from whatever it is to just happy, to just having fun. I really like their first four albums, and they, they kind of go into a slump. But each and every album works for me. Each and every album makes me just happy. It's, it's kind of happiness with a tinge of sadness, because I know a few people who know the band, but no, no one knows them or enjoys them or finds them important as I do, you know? They really, really brightened my day. And I even got to see them live once. I never thought I would. They're touring in America a lot, nonstop, really. Every once in a while, they go to tour in Russia. And then one time after touring in Russia, they came and played a show in Israel. Uh, and uh, I think, Barry, did you come with me? Yeah. Yeah, it was a dream come true for me. They announced the show and it got postponed maybe three or four times and um, because of uh, health issues and I don't know what else, but I kind of gave up after postponing the show three or four times. But then we went there and it was just just an amazing evening. Uh, they played a bunch of great songs from each and every album. Then in the intermission, I went and shook the guy's hand and um, there's only one constant member uh, since they started after, I don't know, four albums, they kind of broke up, but one of them just kept going. Uh, so I shook his hand, I got him to sign two of their albums, um, I told him how much they mean to me, and then after the intermission they uh, kept playing, they asked the crowd between songs if there's anything that we want to hear, and I had so many songs going through my head that I wanted to yell at them so they'd play them, but just so many songs I couldn't decide on one, and then I figured, I think, they played a song from each and every album except their latest one, which was uh, called... Uh, bacon. So I just yelled out Bacon, and the, there's a song called Bacon as well, the first song in the album. The guy just pointed to me and says, this one's for you, and just play the song. And um, one of the best evenings in my life, I just love this band, and I really, really wish more people would know about them, because, I don't know, they just make me so much happier. They also played in the in the Six Dream Samurai, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I got to know them. They played the original soundtrack for the movie uh, Six Ring Samurai, which I think came out in 1997 or 1996. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But that's how I got to know the band. I saw the movie when I was in high school. uh, And it's a really, really weird movie. It's about America in the 50s or 60s after a nuclear war with Russia. And um, somehow, uh, you know, everything is post-apocalyptic and Elvis became the king of America. And then Elvis died, so they're looking for a new king. And everyone with the guitar, everyone who plays rock and roll, is traveling to Las Vegas to become the new king. And it's a weird movie, I love it, but I, I don't know if I can recommend it to anyone. But the music, <laughs> the music is, Red Elvis is, uh, uh, are doing the soundtrack, and it, 
it's just great just amazing i think that's awesome yeah uh great answer um uh, uh well mine's a book uh it's probably not my favorite book ever but it's definitely in my top three it sort of um oscillates around a little bit but it's called scale by jeffrey west spelled g-e-o-f-f-r-e-y and it's um he's a physicist but he went into the field of biology he was getting older he was in his 50s and um both of his um his father and his great grandfather both died in their 50s so he was <laughs> he was quite um obsessed by um aging and mortality at this point so west um he applied his sort of um thinking of physics to biology or biological questions such as like why we live as long as we do um like why do we live to 100 why don't we live to a thousand or why is why is it not considered tragic if someone dies at 2100 years old when they could have lived to 10,000 you know why it seems sort of arbitrary but the book uh really displays just an outstanding sort of simplicity that underlie all of the um, natural uh, living systems, such as you know dogs and horses and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, it's it's just incredible, really. And the reason why I say not enough people know about it is because this this is sort of this is really groundbreaking research, and it's delivered in a pop science sort of book. But it's accessible or um, accessible, sorry, to readers like me, which don't have any degree in science, and it's just incredibly rigorous and incredibly insightful. Yeah, it's. I just, I'm surprised that this isn't sort of fundamental knowledge in biology, or if it is, that I didn't know about it. So sounds very interesting. It is really, really. When did interesting. the book came out? Ah, uh, let me see. I think it came out. It would have been really recently. I think it would have been maybe 2017. Uh, maybe cool. yeah i think 2016 2017 around then but it's mm-hmm. just incredible it's just incredible and he does um in the, i think the earlier chapters are sort of must read but the later chapters he goes on to sort of apply this um complexity theory to um cities as well so he talks about like how the size of cities sort of if you double a city do you have to like uh provide as much energy to double um the people or is it or is there some sort of um an exponential growth yeah is there economies of scale essentially or like do you have to build double as many roads or or how many patents are filed and stuff like that because patents are quite a good indicator of economic activity so yeah just all over just a fantastic book so i think it's um it sounds it sounds amazing it is it is fantastic book it's quite a heavy read but Oh, it's um, is you look at the world differently after reading it. So, what's its name again? Um, scale: the universal laws of growth, innovation, sustainability, and pace of life in organisms, cities, economies, and companies. So, yeah, but just type in scale. <laughs> cool. I'll just add it to my to read list. <laughs> to the never-ending to read list. Cool. Yeah, it came out in 2017, and it has great, uh, great ratings and uh, good reads. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mario, what about you? Um, there's a book. I think I think I heard you talk about it, Peter. Maybe you also read it. The the brief history of men of humankind. Uh, sapiens. Yeah, um, sapiens. The brief history of yeah, humankind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, it's not it's not a, a very long book, but and and it kind of goes through all the stages of uh, the human society uh, advanced. I, I think what I found most interesting there is that 
I guess you can you can never say that that something is uh, very objective because like obviously uh, you know you you can't <laughs> there there was a, a person that uh, decided to write one fact and not another fact but it what's very interesting about that book it, it kind of tells that there isn't one truth there isn't one degree or or uh, virtue and and it kind of takes this concept and and goes through all all different stages and aspects of humankind uh, it talks about how societies are were created uh, re- how religion got created how money moves everything and it kind of does it in a way that it doesn't say what's right it kind of said that um, if if we look at things according to what we know we don't really know why I mean there are things that that kind of make sense like the monetary systems are probably one of the things that helped the growth of the of the population and society and culture and that is because it kind of bridged like everything i might not believe the god that is drawn on the coin but i do believe that you see value in that coin and that kind of bridges our cultural differences um but i really like that the book talks a lot about uh, about also religion and that is a place where it says that it doesn't know why some religions grew over other religions or why exactly were they built that way it was kind of like like he talks a lot about uh, either he talks a lot about christianity as as the uh, definitely the the biggest religion today and it doesn't have like one answer exactly why is Christianity the biggest religion? It doesn't say it's true or untrue, but it just says that like in, in an historical point of view, there isn't one answer. So I also read it while, while traveling, so it kind of put everything in, in very interesting perspective. And I actually have this book uh, right in front of me, and, and the cool thing is that I, I always went with a marker with it and just marked um, things that, that I liked in the book. And Pretty much all the book is marked. Um, <laughs> you read it while we were traveling in America, right? I, I remember yeah. uh, you were telling me bits and pieces of it all the time and it sound, sounded amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it takes really interesting topics and tells them really sim- simply. And the book I read right after this one is uh, The God Delusion. Um, I think it's uh, Hawking, uh, not Hawking. Christopher Hitchens, yeah. Not Christopher Hitchens, Hitchens uh, the... Oh, sorry, uh, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, yeah. Richard Dawkins, yeah. And, yeah. like, this... I'm reading, um, I'm reading The Selfish Gene by Dawkins at the moment. So oh, cool. Really good book. Yeah. Um, so, like, The God Delusion is very oriented. Accord- you, you can actually feel Dawkins saying those very opinionated things. And they're really interesting. He's got a lot of good points. But it's it feels... He's pushing his very his beliefs, which is kind of kind of makes sense. I guess that's why you write a book. But in the Sapiens book, uh, it kind of feels a bit more uh, like a very interesting uh, uh, history lesson. I think he's a history professor at one of the universities. The author. Uh, yeah, in Jerusalem, I think Yuval Noah Harari, right? Yep, that's yeah. him. He's he's amazing. He has great ideas. He's looking into the future and he's really seeing what's coming. And um, I feel I feel like we need to listen to him some more. Uh, that's why I think uh, even though the book 
I can't say it's not popular, <laughs> but uh, well, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I couldn't mention it because I remember maybe a few months ago <laughs> I went to um, a bookstore in Australia and they have sort of I don't know every bookstore does this for some reason but they do a ranking of like how their best books of like um, mm. uh, not opinionated it's just on sales but um, I think Sapiens was number one for like quite a few weeks so I couldn't I couldn't say it. I remember a lot of things from from the from that book, but one of the things that always um, that always tickled me is like he has a very interesting comparison between the Declaration of of uh, Independence for, uh, in the United States yeah. in uh, you know 1772, um, 76. Um, 76, mate, <laughs> 76, 76, right, right, right. I wasn't uh, going to say a, it. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not an American citizen, so I, I'm allowed. So, but there's also like uh, uh, Hammurabi rules from um, uh, 7076 yeah. BC, right? And there's a very interesting comparison about, um, you know, the, the kind of truth they, they try to embody in those declarations. And, and the comparison tries to show that they have like historically and maybe ethically the same grounds. They just come from, from the dif- different axioms. Like, uh, you know, in, in, in Hammurabi rules, they talk about uh, slaves and, uh, and uh, very hmm. clear classes. And, really? in, and in, uh, in the Declaration of the American Independence, then they say every, every man is equal uh, before God, right? And the second one, the latter one is, is we feel much closer to it, because, right? Because we don't, kinda, we don't agree with slavery. But it kind of tries to make us feel that nothing is yet complete because even when the declaration of independence was written they were still slaves they they were just they, they didn't mention it and they didn't say nothing about women so i i think it i i remember it uh, as a very interesting uh, comparison yeah i think um we're getting into really juicy territory here so i'm not going to say much but that is a <laughs> that is a banger of a book that's yeah that's fantastic so um i would recommend that so anyway it's it's already on my list yeah <laughs> Uh, cool, thank you guys. Let's go into the main discussion. Cool. Um, so Deja Vu, as you said, um, released early in 1970 by Stephen Stills, Graham Nash, David Crosby and Neil Young. And it's a pretty short album as far as albums go. It's only about 35, 36 minutes. Um, I think most albums are like maybe 45-ish from those times. Now we don't even have the concept of an album. Now we just do EPs or edits or just Mm -hmm, single songs or whatever. Yeah, terrible. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm trying not to be too opinionated, guys. Um, (laughs) No, that's the place to be opinionated. Yeah, that's your platform. (laughs) Um, So it was produced by Atlantic, pretty big record company, and four of the songs went to number one on the charts, uh, which was... Teacher Children, Teacher Our Children. House. Yep. It was what te- else? Uh, Woodstock, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And uh, maybe Carry On? I'm guessing uh, now. No, I don't think... I think it was only the first three that we said. So Woodstock, Teacher Children, mm-hmm. and Our House. They went to number one, but Carry On didn't, which I found surprising. But um, yeah, yeah maybe, uh, maybe it just didn't catch on as much. But um, we'll talk about it when we go song by song. So cool. All right. I'll, um, I'll get started with Carry On. One morning I woke up and I knew you were Where are you going now? 
going into it. That was a great one to start with, I thought, because uh, when I was going into the album, I'd only heard two. So that was, I heard Almost Cut My Hair and I'd heard um, Woodstock. So I'd never heard Carry On. But um, yeah, it was really, really good song to get started with. And I did actually like, I like those songs that switch up in the middle. Like I know Paul McCartney does quite a few of those songs, which like changes the beat. Yeah, so that was that was a really good one. And this one is by Stephen Stills. So uh, try to remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of think he, he was the main part of the band, main writer before uh, this album, I think. Yeah. I may be completely wrong about that, but I think he was. Uh, another thing I heard about this, and which really shines when you start this song, is that back then a lot of bands came out with albums that really rely on um, a great guitar player, yeah. like Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix or um, you know other bands of the time. <laughs> but this, this really shows what uh, sets CSNY, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young apart. They have good guitar players here, but they really rely on the, the harmonizing, on the, the vocals. I think 90% of this album is in four voices, uh, and you get it yeah. straight from the beginning, right here. Yeah, I agree. That's, um, it's just such a good start um, to an yeah. album with this. Yeah. Like the, I like the guitar sound where he's sort of, I think it's just the bottom or the top or whatever, whatever way you're holding your guitar, but like he hits that bottom string and it sort of rings out a little bit and gets really deep. Mm. I really like that sound yeah. when you have headphones on. That, that Yeah, it's fantastic. And I really like this song. It's um, at least the first part, I think, is about um, dealing with loss or breakup or um, you know anything that kind of gets you down for a while. I think the main idea here is that no matter what happens, no matter how bad things seem now we'll get over it with time you know time will heal everything and uh we'll just carry on they even have a, uh, a line here rejoice we have no choice but to carry on and yeah. this really 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 encapsulates something i don't know something close to me i really feel that way i i don't know i went through a breakup and i had like a few um bad months uh i remember being awfully sad i remember um kind of not talking to my friends a lot and just not doing the things I like to do until one day I was just driving in my car going to work. And uh, I don't know, I I just thought, wait, why am I sad? I don't really remember. And um, I just I came out of it and I just started feeling better. And um, this song really threw me to that moment because at least the first part of the song just talks about that and really holds that moment to me, yeah. you know? Yeah. What did you think about it, um, Barrio? Um, well, the first part I couldn't agree more with Inun. I think it's definitely talking about, uh, you know, getting over lost, and and it's very optimistic. I what what I really liked about it, it um, it kind of felt like there's a full community singing it to you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I, I think it's uh, like it it creates a, a very interesting effect because it's not it's not like a single person that uh, tells you or tells himself that uh, that everything that you need to carry on and everything will that everything will be fine because like the whole song is kind of is kind of singing that love is coming and it's coming to us all to all the to all the community and when and when the entire community tells it to you. I don't know. It kind of feels um, less like somebody's telling you that, but more of a consensus. Yeah, maybe. exactly, exactly. Like you, you, you're kind of more trusting when when a lot of people yeah. are telling you the same. That's a the great same point. Thing together, 
um, it's definitely less less intimate when a lot of people is, are telling you that together. I don't know. I kind of I kind of felt like more trusting with to it. I, I I also like you can really imagine the the all the people are together and, and singing kind of like the in the also in the album's cover. Um, yeah. I don't know. It also kind of reminded me the the optimistic view of um, coming home. I think Alabama, Arkansas. How I love my. Uh, the <laughs> the whole notion of of like everything is going to be okay and we're singing together and <laughs> it was very very nice this is how you start an album right I mean this is such a great song to open with just energetic and fun and and optimistic um, this whole album kind of maybe not all the album has an optimistic vibe but this album kind of has um a hippie vibe maybe I don't know um, I don't know how to say it like um yeah we're living in a society we're living in a group we we're here for each other. And this this just a great way to start an album, yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Did it remind anyone of anything else I've heard? Uh, the second part kind of reminds me of um, I don't know, all kinds of sixties rock, which this album came in in nineteen seventy, so I, I guess it makes a lot of sense. I think in the nineteen seventies they had a a more uh, rock and roll, more uh, smaller bands, but louder instrument style um sound, but this this just. I don't know, it just reminded me of 60s albums that I used to listen when I was younger. The, um, the first half, actually, what Morth showed, the intro reminded me a little bit of uh, Friends off the third album of Led Zeppelin. Has anyone heard that one, Bob? Mm. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right. I just got that um, vibe a little bit, and I it didn't, maybe not on the first listen, but when I listened a few more times and I was just thinking about other bands, yeah, that one sort of caught on for me. Kind of down-tuned guitars with a lot of open strings. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, love, I love that sound. Cool. So um, the next one was Teach Your Children. If they told you you would cry, so just look at them and sigh. So this one was another uh, popular one, even more so than Carry On, because this one made uh, number one on the charts when it came out. Yeah, so I think that one's... Um, I quite like that one, but um, out of the three that went to number one, that one wouldn't be one I would have predicted went to number one. It has a little bit of mm-hmm. like a country vibe to it, and, yeah. it, and definitely some uh, moral sort of undertones. Um, <laughs> I think it's to do with fatherhood a little bit. But um, that one didn't grab onto me as much as Carry On did. It wasn't... No. It wasn't a, wasn't bad at all. In fact, it's, it's a good sort of toe-tapper. But um, I would have thought Carry On would have gone to number one and Teacher Children might have, um, might not have. But yeah, what did you guys think? Yeah, this song definitely got stuck in my head. I really like it, but... Out of all the album i i I don't know if it's maybe my least favorite song because I don't know, just maybe not my style yeah um i I was kind of surprised that this one is the one that went uh number one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the way I understood the lyrics after kind of uh reading some reviews of the albums and you know and what other people thought, yeah, I kind of think this is about the difference between generations, like yeah. um you're trying to teach your children the best you can. Yeah. and you're hoping that the that just the best will stick but you can't you can't make it work the way yeah. you want yeah and um your generation's experiences will be different than the next generations and then they they won't understand you like you understand yourself and you yeah. won't understand them 
which is a, um, an interesting theme. I, I, I think about it a lot, but um, I don't know. I kind of think every generation is different in some ways, but deep down inside, everything is kind of just repeating itself. Yeah. But um, I really like the theme here. I like the um, on the second chorus, I think, yeah, uh, where they the the swap between uh, the children and the parents that suddenly it kind of changes the the perspective to be until until that second chorus it kind of feels that you're looking at at the next generation. and then suddenly it goes the previous generation. <laughs> that is tough for everyone and you just need again this song is is very optimistic uh, as the as the other one i, I think um eventually it kind of it kind of tells you that you need to keep you need to keep the going you need to carry on actually it's it's kind of it kind of resembles the previous one yeah yeah i really like the first line that the you who are on the road must have a code that you can live by just You know, just have a song with that line repeating, and I'll be okay with that. <laughs> uh, I thought this one was actually reminiscent of the song by Cat Stevens, Father and Son. Have you guys heard that song? No, no, really, no, I haven't. No, oh I'm, I'm sh- you know you're you're definitely familiar with it. Yeah, I definitely listened to it before, I mean, on the radio or something, but I've never really listened to the lyrics or anything or um, I, oh, I love that song. It, it kind of it always give me give me goosebumps. Yeah, such an awesome song. but from from that song, uh, Father and Son, there was um, uh, comparable lyrics, I'd say. There was um, I was once like you are now and I know that it's not easy to be calm when you've found something going on. I just I definitely found it was sort of it's an advice song. <laughs> Almost cut my hair It happened just the other day Song three was Almost Cut My Hair, um, and this one is by David Crosby. And uh, does anyone know the sort of the meaning behind this one? I can guess. It's not about him cutting his hair. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, as far as I've read, um, back then, having long hair meant that you dodged the draft or uh, wasn't drafted, and then you kind of support peace and not Vietnam War was back then. I don't know. So hair was kind of a sign, long hair. was kind of a sign of a peaceful protest against war. And um, I think he says, I, I, I almost cut my hair, but I, I feel like I owe it to someone. So I, it's, it's much bigger than just, you know, having a cool hairdo. Okay, well, I've got a differing, I've got a dissent. <laughs> um, well, I was reading up about the song and I sort of got the same vibe. I thought maybe it had more implications for cutting his hair was sort of like to fit in any any. There was pressure coming for him to sort of get in line and he didn't want to do that and he said he almost gave in but um, I don't know if any of you guys can back this up or if this is just something I've heard but my dad was telling me um, when I was listening to that song what almost cut my hair means I thought it meant um, he almost overdosed uh, on drugs have you guys ever heard that yeah I mean the first line in the second verse must be because I had the flu for Christmas um, As far as I've read, he spent Christmas kicking off drugs. Yeah. He had a bunch of problems with drugs. He almost died in the 90s, I think. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something illegal because there is uh, this interaction with a police car so that, that he's not mm-hmm. giving an yeah. inch of fear. 
Yeah, I definitely think it's something to do with not dying of drugs. So saying like almost cut my hair was like a close call with overdosing because, oh. and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. I think it's because um, his girlfriend at the time, I think she passed away from an overdose mm-hmm. only only maybe a couple of days before he recorded this. So this was like an impromptu sort of cry for help almost from um, David Crosby and. Uh, yeah, so I think that's why he was sort of like belting it out, you know. And uh, yeah, so I think I really don't know if it's to do with sort of the hippie phase, like cutting his hair to a more sort of normal length to fit in or if he wanted to stay sort of rebellious or if it's this drugs thing or maybe it, it most likely it's probably a combination of of both of yeah. them. But I just felt with the, you know, running with the police and... I had the food for Christmas and stuff. I thought maybe this was this was it, but yeah, that's a good interpretation. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I never, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought about it. Very interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm, me neither. Yeah, I thought about. I mean, I mean, I think I felt, I felt like the, um, I feel like I owe to someone is um, talking about, um, you know, bigger things than just me as a person. Yeah. But really, your interpretation about the drugs is very interesting. And um, yeah, his girlfriend did die just before the album. Yeah. I think he said. Most of the time, while they were recording the album, he was just in the studio, sitting on the floor and crying, which is, um, That's not nice. I don't know, kind of comes out with this song. Yeah. It's a great, great song. I really liked it. Yeah. I don't know how he thought of it, because I think they only had a little bit of studio time left when they did this. So I think that might have been mm. just the one take. I don't know. Maybe they did more than one take, but the one we're, but the one we're hearing is the first take, so... That says something about it. Wow, that's great. It, I yeah. always see like great songs and then you look up like interesting things about it and they go, oh, this was the first take. And you just think, oh, crazy. Yeah, 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 really. What did you guys think of the actual song? I loved it. I mean, the sound, uh, it's kind of heavier than the rest. Yeah, definitely is. Maybe even the loudest song in the album. Yeah, um, I would agree. It's just the guitar sounds great. The solo sounds great. The, um, the, the vocals are uh, singing by David Crosby is Really, really good. Really, I really good. loved it. Fantastic mm-hmm. singing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was one of the ones I heard before I recommended it to you guys. So I wasn't going off much, but this this song I would have in my playlist, and I'd just play it every once in a while because it's such a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the song Barrier? Is this is this sort of um, music you listen to a little bit, or is this sort of um, bit fringe? Uh, it's definitely different from what I usually hear. I liked it. I'm I'm not sure if I would put it in my playlist, but um, yeah, it's I, I can definitely understand the appeal. Cool. All right. Yeah. Let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Number four um, by Neil Young called Helpless. What did you guys think of that? I I love this song. I think it's maybe in my top three from this album. It's slow, it's soft, it's just beautiful lyrics. I think uh, uh, I couldn't really understand the lyrics. I mean, I don't know exactly what he's talking about here, but I really love this song. I really, really love his voice. And the harmonies, harmonizing vocals in the chorus are just beautiful. Yeah, I totally agree. The first time I heard it, I didn't really listen to the to the lyrics. I kind of 
try to uh, get connected to to the whole vibe and and it was really it, it was really special for me at least i agree with Inon. i think that his voice here is is really uh, is really amazing and i there's a good atmosphere that is being that is being built throughout the song um mm-hmm. when i went and read the lyrics that's when this this one really got me because um it sits perfectly with the whole vibe and and it just enhanced what the the original feeling that i had so uh yeah uh, that's that's definitely one of my favorites i think um i think you could plausibly skip over this one if you weren't um sort of paying attention because it's between almost cut my hair which we thought is probably one of the heaviest of the album and then woodstock which is quite upbeat but this one just slips in so nicely i thought and yeah um on the first and second listen i i didn't really take notice of it i liked it but i just never thought oh yeah this is this is one of the best but i think now this might be maybe my top two maybe top three i think and Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, like I think Neil Young would probably be the most popular of the members of the band, at least nowadays. I don't know. Back then, I wasn't alive. But um, nowadays, I think Neil Young's name sort of pops up quite a bit. And he just has such a distinctive voice, which is hard not to love. So, yeah, it's just, just fantastic. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't think about that. But the first few times I listened to this album, I really was waiting for um, Almost Cut My Hair, and then I was thinking to myself, when's Woodstock, isn't it now? But then after a few listens, Helpless, uh, it's really, really got stuck in my head. I mean, I I hummed this song all all day long, really. Just a beautiful song. Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to go on to Woodstock? Just the what we heard then, because we just listened to the start. The um, the guitar was just piercing at the start in such a good way. Because obviously, before um, sort of technology invaded music, you didn't have all this techno sound. So it's amazing they got that sort of rough sort of sound out of their guitar, and it's just just fantastic. Really aesthetic, if that even makes sense in this context, but. Probably one of the best intros to the song, um, to a song in this album, I thought. Mm-hmm. And this is um, was written by Joni Mitchell, yes, which is yes. famous for her own music. And um, I think she was dating uh, Graham Nash at that time. Yeah. At first, I thought this was just you know like a, a fun rock song, you know, something uh, in the middle of the album, kind of um, uh, you know, to take a break from the heavy songs. But I, I really love the lyrics here. I mean, it's just telling the story of Woodstock. I think the the chorus. I kind of think I'm looking at it from a different uh, perspective than what they meant. Uh, you know, because of the time time yeah. period is different and everything. I think they meant uh, we are stardust, we are golden, uh, we got to get ourselves back to the garden. I think they kind of meant it from you know. There's a a lot of hippie themes or um, yeah, they're definitely naturalistic was. themes. Yeah, and I think they're trying to to put out the the idea of we we have to go back to a simpler world. But I really think I, I read it for the first time and I was like looking at it very differently. Like, yeah, we are a billion year old carbon. Uh, this is this is amazing. This universe we live in. They're talking about getting ourselves back to the garden. And I was feeling like, you know, in my head, they're talking about 
you know, um, science. They're talking about um, this kind of real magic that we have in this world. And um, if we just keep studying science and keep studying how this world works, then we may one day get ourselves back to the garden, which I'm sure is not what they meant, but I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I kind of think that they meant the opposite. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, the whole Woodstock vibe is like, uh, we, we got to... We gotta be anti-corporate and uh, and you know get uh, more in touch with our spirituality and remember that we're just stark <laughs> dust and uh, we're billion years old carbon and only by getting <laughs> back uh, attached to to our to our natural or and spiritual roots we will get back to the garden. Um, yeah, I totally flipped it. I don't know. I feel connected <laughs> to it because of that. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> <laughs> I I gotta say that I've. Um, I guess I always knew that uh, a lot of Woodstock was about the spirituality of and, and getting back to the land. But that, but that when when uh, hearing this song and reading the lyrics after that, it kind of made me think about it uh, some more. I, I mean, I guess there's a, a connection that is created from taking drugs, hearing um, music, and um, you know, being being outside that kind of helped the experience to uh, to feel connected to your surrounding. Like definitely, this whole Woodstock vibe wouldn't be the same if it was in a in a closed because it was outdoors and with a lot of people. That that what kind of makes makes it feel all connected. Yep, I agree. It's um, perfect song. I thought just um, it could almost be mistaken as sort of a heavy song because when the guitar comes in, you think, "Oh, this is quite a heavy song," but it's actually quite smooth. It's quite light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, is this anyone's favorite of the album? Um, I don't know. Definitely top five, but I don't know. I can't say it's my favorite yeah, of same. this album. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so now uh, we're going into side two of the album. If you're listening on uh, vinyl or cassette tapes, uh, <laughs> there's five more songs on this side. The first time I listened to this album and I got to Deja Vu, the first song from this side of the album. It's funny to say, but I, I felt... I don't want to say it, but I felt deja vu. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, when I was five or six, maybe, I used to have this cassette tape player, which, you know, if you're looking at it from the front, you have uh, the place to put the cassette in, and then there's one speaker to the right of it. I used to take it to bed with me every day when I was going to sleep. I used to play old albums that I had. Nothing that I bought myself. I was too young, but usually played... Michael Jackson uh, stuff that I had and I usually played. There's a great kind of prog 70s rock band from Israel called Kaveret or uh, Poogie in English they're known. And I also used to have a bunch of tapes. Uh, we used to have um, like a drawer in the um, entrance to our house with, I don't know, 50 or 60 tapes there. And I used to take a few uh, to my room every day and just give them a try. Really listening to Deja Vu and Every song until the end of this album really sent me back to that period. I used to listen to the albums in bed at a really low volume because I thought that if my parents would hear that I'm listening to music, they'd tell me to go to sleep and turn the music off. So I used to press my ear to the speakers. And I don't know why, but these songs, Deja Vu and Our House and 4 Plus 20 and the rest of the songs just sent me back to that moment. I could almost feel the cold metal of the speaker to my ear and almost smell the plastic of the tape player. And it sent me back to a part of my childhood that I really, really loved. And um, I feel a special connection to this this side of the album. Thank you, Peter, for <laughs> uh, letting me have this experience. 
Oh, good. Now, this is the point where I um, tear down all these uh, great images you've um, displayed because I thought side two was probably my lesser lesser no. favorite. No, definitely because <laughs> Carry On and Almost Cut My Hair, Helpless, Woodstock, those were just really top of the list for me. So I thought um, if you want to get into Deja Vu, maybe I'll play the, um, play the song and then I'll talk about it a bit. I'm going to say uh, Deja Vu, the song. Sometimes when you get the title of the album in a song, sometimes it's like the best song, sometimes it's like, you know, up there. But for me, this one was probably my least favorite of the album. Actually, not probably. It was my least favorite of the album. I just just didn't click for me. Like, because like, Almost Cut My Hair by um, David Crosby, that was one of my favorites of the album. But then this second one by him, I just wasn't a fan of. It was, uh, yeah, it just didn't click for me. What do you guys think? Yeah, despite everything I said earlier about um, having the, the experience of, of sending me back to my childhood, this is a song I uh, listened uh, the least to. Um, yep. I really like the, uh, I don't know, it, it feels like it also has two parts. Um, the beginning with all the um, daddy, daddy, da, I don't know how to call them. <laughs> you can't even know it. <laughs> and then uh, the second part where, um, um, uh, I don't know, uh, the guitar turns slower and the song becomes kind of heavier. And so I, I really love the second part, but I skipped this song a few times. I mean, it's a beautiful song, but yeah, this is my least favorite of this album. I do, I do generally like to listen to albums in order. Not, I think I've been through this, but it's nothing to do with like preserving how it's meant to be played or anything like that. It's just just works better for my brain. But um, mm-hmm. when I started to go into the mode of just picking songs out at random, this one I would never pick. This one I'd pick almost every other song, uh, but this one didn't come up. So. And I think this, um, in terms of lyrics, this is the easiest song to interpret, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's in the title. It's just about deja vu. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was, it's definitely different from the rest of the album. It's different. It's uh, it's special. It it got an interesting vibe. The whole uh, rhythm of it, uh, uh, how, how it advanced from, uh, you know, from line to line. It, it's got its charm. It's definitely not, not the best one, but it does have some... Uh, yeah. Maybe it's one of those songs that you, um, you know, you listen to the whole album a few times and kind of pay less attention to this one. And maybe years later, when you come back to the album, you'll fall in love with this one, you know, because it it feels new. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we'll come back after like five years and we'll just say like how good this one <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. All right. Um, since no one loved that one, uh, let's go on to the <laughs> next one. Um, Our House by Graham Nash. So, Our House uh, by Graham Nash. So, Graham Nash was the one who played Teach Your Children in the first side. Um, what did you guys think? To tell you the truth, I didn't really like it. <laughs> I kind of, I think I found it a 
bit boring, but that's just me. This is a very simple song. I mean, um, in terms of the music itself, it's not too interesting. And in terms of the lyrics, it's not anything that you can't really interpret. It's really one of the easier songs here. Yep. But something in, the, in the, um, the high voice of um, uh, Nash and the piano, I think it's a, a sweet song, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I really like this one. Uh, I don't know if I really like this one a lot, but um, I definitely found it interesting. And I do have a slight bias because as soon as I started listening to it, I realized that this appeared in an episode of How I Met Your Mother. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a bit of a fan. It was the one um, where Ted decides to like buy his own house after his mum marries a new guy and he thinks, oh, I'm, no, I'm nowhere near where I need to be in life. So hmm. he thought, well, I'll get the house hmm. and that'll set me up. So then when they're doing the montage of setting up everything, then this song plays. So, And I always liked that song, actually, in How I Meet Mother. But then when I listened to it in the album, there's so many other good songs in this album that this one doesn't really piqued my interest as much if this was if this wasn't on another album that i didn't like as much this what might actually be a standout but yeah when you have like almost cut my hair and carry on and stuff this a little bit too monotonous maybe but um i still i still thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoyed it there's this bit in the third or fourth verse that really made me love this song you know i thought it was a simple song so at first i didn't feel a deep connection to it but then there there's this line um such a cozy room the windows are illuminated by the evening sunshine through them uh fiery gems for you and then on genius.com the the website where you can write in your own interpretation to the lyrics uh someone put a, a picture that really made me love this song because this song by Graham Nash he was dating Joni Mitchell the one that wrote uh Woodstock yeah And they live together, and this song is about her. They went down to LA, I think, and she bought a vase, and they went back home, and it was kind of a wintry day. So he told her, um, I'll light the fire, you place the flowers in the vase, and that's when he just sat down and wrote this song. And the, um, the line about the sunshine coming through the windows through fiery gems, there's a picture, I'm sending you the picture right now, and I'll put it in the show notes, of Joni Mitchell sitting in front of that window, and the fiery gems are those... Um, Kind of glass ornaments and jars and this picture along with this song just made me kind of love it that's pretty yeah wow yeah I'm, I'm looking at the picture now that's awesome good job it's not a I don't know it's not a, a great reason to love this song but um I like it and I'm glad I'm alone in liking it <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I, I liked it as well I liked it as well I'd put this in the like category so okay do you want to move on to four plus 20. Four and twenty years ago were coming to this life The son of a woman and a man who lived in strife He was tired of being poor Alright, what did you guys think of 4 plus 20? Kind of a quiet song. Um, I wouldn't call it heavy. But it has kind of a heavy feel to it. I think he's talking about staying up all night being lonely and then going to bed alone and you're lonely and I don't know I've been there before. beautiful song. Um, the vocals are great when he's going to the um, I wouldn't call it a chorus, but when he's going to the minor chords, it's just I don't know something works there for me. And um, one of the lines near the end, I embrace the many colored beast. 
that line really uh, caught me. I spent a lot of time trying to think, what is the many-colored beast? Have you been through it as well? Um, I never actually thought about it, but yeah, it's interesting. What, what did you think of it? So um, in this verse, he's going to his bed. He sees that it's empty. Uh, he says, there's devils in my mind. I embrace the many-colored beast. Uh, I grow weary of torment. Can there be no peace? And um, it took me a while to think of it, and I read a bunch of um, interpretations. One of them was, you know, you embrace the many-colored beasts, uh, that it could be uh, drugs and alcohol, mm. kind of um, to color your life with many colors that, in a sense, giving it meaning. But there are fake colors, like, and the meaning is illusion, and it's addictive, and maybe it turns you into a beast, I don't know. Another interpretation was maybe it's TV, you know, you spend time uh, watching TV, which has many colors, and I don't know, maybe trying to not feel as lonely. I don't know. Some thought that, you know, the many-colored beast was just his imagination. You know, you come to an empty bed, uh, use your imagination, seeing color in your mind, and maybe it's talking about masturbation. I don't know, it could be. My first instinct kind of was, you know, the seven sins. I don't know, I think the seven sins had colors. I'm looking it up. Um, yeah, red is wrath, orange is gluttony, yellow is avarice, green is envy, you know. So maybe the, the, the many-colored beast is himself. I don't know, he's embracing his, himself. I don't think it's really what he meant because I don't think gluttony has anything to do with it at that moment. But um, I don't know, it could go uh, in many directions. And then at the end of this uh, verse... It just says, I find myself just wishing that my life would simply cease. And the song just ends then. No no outro, no nothing. It's just crazy to me. Yeah, this one to me felt like a bit of a song of sort of like old age and sort of not having any sort of future to look forward to. And to me, the many colored beast was just his own mind because all he has is his own thoughts. He doesn't have any material kind of things and then I I did a bit of research and I found that the 4 plus 20 I think it's based I think it's I think it's shortened it's meant to be 64 plus 20 which is just a funny way of saying 84 really yeah so I think the the person wow. in the in this story is meant to be 84 so but instead they did 4 plus 20 which many people just think is the some reference to pot but I don't think yeah. it is I think I think it's I thought um, it was uh, 24 years old. <laughs> I thought it was um uh, I don't know I thought it was young and already kind of um disappointed with how life turned out but no but if it's 64 plus 20 that's interesting. Yeah, I think he's over the hill and I think he's sort of like the main part of his life is sort of over and he's sort of just thinking well now all I've got is just consciousness I guess. Hmm, yeah. Um Steven Stills was born in 1945. Uh, so that's about... 24, 25 years, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe if it's, maybe if it's really 64 plus 20, that's very interesting. That changes a bit, um, the meaning of the song to me, but, um, all in all, really, really an interesting song. I didn't say it, but I think this is maybe my favorite, if not maybe equal of helpless. I thought, I thought these two sort of, um, maybe under the radar sort of songs, these ones really did it mm -hmm. for me because just um, Stephen Stills with just his guitar because this was really just the only only instrument on this track and um, I just thought really good song, fantastic. Yeah, the guitar is beautiful here. And yeah, I really love this song. I, I 
sing it in my head a lot. One of my favorites, but it's kind of, I don't know, kind of short. It's hard for me to say it's, it's my favorite. It feels like uh, half a song, I don't know. It is the shortest uh, in the album. I was also going to say that. I, that's, that's like my, my main problem with the song because it's so touching, but it's so short. Like you, you, want, it, you want to understand a bit, a bit more in depth what, what's going on. I guess it's very relatable. I think a lot of people experience a lot of the, the things that he sings about. Just for the listeners, um, Barrio is actually 84, so that's why he's saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, thing, the things you experience in, in 84 years. Um, no, but, but you know what? Even, even if it's not true and it's only 24, the, the singer is only 24 years old, I think it's also something that uh, probably happens to a lot, like the loneliness, the realization that the world is, is not necessarily what you expected. There's disappointment. I mean, the, those are like the feelings that can create a lot of desperation. That is pretty much like how the story ends and, and it kind of leaves you wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, for me, this song is, is kind of a lot like, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a bit of an optimistic view to, to look at it, but kind of like growing up a bit, uh, understanding all kind of, uh, of harsh and not so comfortable facts and realizations about, about life. And it kind of it kind of leaves you about um, where are you going to take it because when the song song ends in such a such a down vibe, like it kind of feels that there's no hope and and you're kind of you're kind of left with it. But I think that that it kind of leaves you the the choice of of what you think you want to do next. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that song. One of my top three, definitely. Yeah, really. Again, like helpless, it could be go under the radar a little bit, but um, really good, really yeah. good song. Uh huh. Do you guys want to go on to Country Girl? Um, so this one is the second one by Neil Young. His first one was Helpless, and um, this one is actually a bit of a mix of three songs, isn't it? Uh, you're you're going to have to read out the full name of this song. <laughs> I've been calling it Country Girl, but it's actually a mix of Whiskey Boot Hill, uh, Down, 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 and Country Girl, and in brackets, I Think You're Pretty. So... Yeah, um, and this is uh, the longest song in the album, uh, over five minutes. It is, yeah. Do you guys think it deserved to be the longest song? Uh, I don't know. What's the criteria for that? I mean, well, I don't, th- I don't think just because a song's good, it should be longer. I, I, um, that's sort of not the right way to think about it because obviously some songs need a bit of a build up and stuff like that. But to me, this one didn't catch on to me too much. It just, it just didn't. It just didn't catch on, really. It was not a bad song. It's just um, I just felt not bored, but maybe a little bit like like I was just sort of just listening to it, not really feeling it too much. But then in the last maybe minute where everyone's sort of playing together and the singing's going on, uh, I actually enjoyed the last minute of it. So as it's sort of winding down, I quite enjoyed it. But for the first maybe three or four minutes, yeah, this one didn't really do it for me. I think this is um, one of the most interesting songs in terms of um, music writing. Uh, the chords in the chorus, I don't know, they just create this strong atmosphere. 
And uh, I love this song. I can't say it's my favorite. But I spent, I don't know, maybe two hours trying to interpret the lyrics of this song. And I'd, I have nothing, really. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's a mix of three, I think. I don't even know if there is an yeah. underlying meaning, to be honest. Maybe not. And I don't know where the where uh, each song starts and where each song ends. Yeah. So, I don't know. Especially compared to Helpless, because Helpless had a good meaning. Maybe not a good meaning, but it was a more clear-cut sort of song, where this one, I don't think it went for it. And because Helpless was more straightforward, that's why I'm kind of in- inclined to think this one didn't have a real underlying theme to it, just because if it did, it might have been a little bit more pronounced if it was a Neil Young song. So Helpless kind of felt really, really helpless, and um, it's a song about longing, but this... I really, really don't know what this song is about, but but just the music holds it for me. Yeah. Cool. What did you think, Barry? I enjoyed the, the song, but, well, I, I never really got into understanding it more in depth. But I guess that's enough. I looked up a bunch of interpretations, but really, maybe there's just nothing. I didn't even think about it until you said it, Peter. Maybe there's just nothing in underlining this song. Which uh, would have saved me a bunch of time. <laughs> Maybe he just sat down and, and wrote whatever came to his head and it didn't actually make any sense. Or or just merge three songs on the spot. Yeah. He wrote a couple of words on a paper and he just like closed his eyes and started pointing them and whatever came up, that was the song. Well, uh, I'm glad you liked it. I didn't um I wouldn't I wouldn't say I loved it, but maybe I liked it. I liked it. So mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Um, do you want to go on to Everybody I Love You? Everybody, I Love You. And this one was um, the only song written by two people. So this one was Stills and Young and the lead vocals with Stills, but uh, Crosby and Nash, I think, appear in this one as well. So, And it's a short one. What do you think of the first two lines? I mean, they really kind of scared me. <laughs> no, you got to run. No, you got to hide. Yeah, but they're singing it so happily, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're, we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it kind of reminded me of the song um, Run by Pink Floyd, which is um, a oh, scary yeah, song, yeah. Uh, very threatening song. I don't know, it kind of sounds like a threat. <laughs> no, you've got to run, no, you got to hide. <laughs> but the rest is very optimistic. The rest is great. I just didn't expect these lines from a song called Everybody I Love You. <laughs> <laughs> this song actually sort of reminded me of, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but with the White Album of the Beatles, so sort of like back in the USSR, that kind of theme. It just had that sort of really fast-paced sort of feel to it. In in It was a short one, but um, I thought it was a really good one to close. Yeah, it's a great closer. Um, close on a high note, on a very chugging kind of riff and song and guitars and, and singing and everything. It's a great song to end the album with. I think this one is a good bookend from um, the start of the album, which was Carry On, so... 
um, both Stephen Stills, and um, they both had an upbeat sort of one. But I definitely think if you swapped Everybody I Love You and put that one first and Carry On Last, I think it wouldn't have flowed as well. I think um, the way they did it is really good. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like you're uh, closing a circle, like you're um, back where you started. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think this song is kind of about no matter who you are, no matter what, what you did in life, deep inside you're, you're a good person. And um, I don't know, just, just an optimistic thing to say, just um, it fits the theme of the album. I like it. Yeah, I think it wraps up uh, nicely, the album. Cool. All right. Um, so that's all 10 songs. Um, something I want to ask you guys, depending on how well we know who did what songs, but um, who's your favorite member of the band in terms of just based off this album? I can't, I don't know how to answer it. I, I've never, I only listened to it and I never really got to separate the voices or, or actual members. Yeah, I think, I think Neil Young would probably be the easiest to separate in terms of the voices. He definitely had a different sort of tone. But for me, I think, I think Stephen Stills was my favorite. Um, he did Carry On, which I think we all quite liked. And then he did the arguably one of my favorites, which was the four plus twenty, and I just thought that alone was really good. But then he also did a bit of the writing and the vocals for Everybody I Love You. So, um, yeah, really solid job with four people on an album with only ten songs. It's hard to make an impact, but I definitely thought I came away from this album thinking I really, really quite enjoyed his stuff. I think I agree with you. I mean, uh, Carry On, Four Plus Twenty, and Everybody I Love You. These are three great ones. If I have to choose something other than what you said, I'll have to say Neil Young, uh, Helpless and Country Girl. I, I love those songs and they're great. After listening to this album a few times, I, I went and found out what's considered to be the best Neil Young album. Uh, album and is it Harvest? Is it Harvest? Is it Harvest? <laughs> yep, yep, it is. Yes. Have you listened to it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have listened to that one a little bit. That one's... Um, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I've listened for two, um, maybe three or four songs, and I really mm, enjoyed okay. it. So. so I added that to my library and added one Stephen Steele's album because um, these were the ones that kind of popped out to me. Maybe one day I'll listen to Graham Nash and uh, David Crosby stuff, but as of now, uh, these two, uh, Steele's and Young... They're great. Yep. They're, they're my favorites. Yep, I think they I worked together on, on Buffalo Springfield. They did, yeah. Um, Buffalo Springfield's got some good stuff as well. I've listened to just a few of their top sort of top grossing stuff. Not um, none of the mm. albums, but um, yeah, I definitely agree. Stills and Young really stole the album for me. So Yeah, yeah, I think so. Thanks, guys. Uh, that was my recommendation for Deja Vu. And uh I uh, hope you guys liked it. I came away thinking it was a really good album. And even though there were some songs that we sort of, um, you know, uh, had disagreements of as to their quality, I thought as a whole, I think um, I think we got a lot out of it. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening to that. In terms of the full album, I really enjoyed it. I mean, um, one of the best albums I've listened to in a while, which doesn't really say a lot because... I don't know, I listen to a lot of music in my life and um, in the last few years I started listening to more podcasts and less music and um, I really kind of find it hard to listen to new albums now because, I don't know, I'm kind of worn out. I really think that if we wouldn't have done this album for this episode, I may have listened to this album once, twice, thought this sounds okay and just kind of let it go. But I'm really happy that I kept going with this. It's really a good album, great album. Cool. Uh, thanks a lot, Peter. It was very 
a very interesting experience to uh, to listen to this album. I would probably never even think about listening to it unless uh, unless you you have recommended it. So thanks. Awesome. Cool. Okay, so next episode we will discuss Play Dead's Inside. Mario, you chose this game. Yeah. Why don't you tell us why you chose it? Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago I, I found out by mistake about a, a game called Limbo, which we'll also discuss a bit in, uh, in the next episode. But after playing it, then it kind of stuck with me for a couple of days. And when I heard they were doing that game, I thought that's a must. I already played it, but I'm going to play it again until, uh, until the next episode. Other than, than a great game experience, it also have like those uh, um, messages that are very, very interesting. And I think they can uh, create uh, an interesting discussion. I know that I've been waiting for ages to talk with someone about this game, but I don't want to spoil it uh, to anyone and uh, no one that I know have, have ever played it. So this is a great opportunity for me to kind of rumble about that uh, after you guys play it. This is one of these games that you have to go kind of blind into it, you know, like uh, you don't have to really, uh, you, you, you shouldn't really know the story or anything. You just go into it, you just play it by yourself and, uh, let it wash over you. Yeah, I exactly. I mean, it's very, it's got a, this very uh, specific uh, vibe and, and you start with knowing pretty much nothing about the game and you just try to move forward. You solve puzzles, you face all those different uh, challenges and at the end, the game, well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, but but uh, <laughs> the game actually has a very interesting uh, saying and interpretation that, that needs to be thought about. So yeah, I would uh, I would recommend and we'll discuss it a bit more uh, next episode. Yeah, and if it's anything like Limbo, prepare to walk towards the right a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool, I can't wait to talk about it. I mean, I've heard a lot of reviews about it. I mean, I've started listening to a lot of reviews about it, but I always stop because they, each and everyone says, just go blind into the game. And um, I've been waiting to, to do it, and this is a great opportunity. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. I have no idea what any of you guys are talking about because uh, I've never played <laughs> it. But um, I guess this is the point of the quest. So Yep. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. Thank you, listeners at home, for helping us along with the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. See you later, guys. Goodbye.